This evening, we are going to be looking at the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And uh, next week, uh, Lord willing, we will conclude the book of Ecclesiastes with the last few verses left. And uh, it's been quite an adventure through this particular book over the last couple of months, <clears throat> a few months. And uh, it's a good reminder to us how we need to live above the sun, which means we need to live with God while we live on this earth. Solomon has given us a perspective of living under the sun. In other words, living under the sun that comes up at certain, you know, every day at a certain time. And the understanding is that living under the sun is living on this earth without God. And living like so many people do, taking their quote-unquote chances every day as to what may happen, good or bad. But believers in God, and especially believers in Jesus Christ, have to look at a totally different perspective. The perspective that we look at is through God's Word, through the lens of the Scriptures, that are His truth, that are His, His very desires for us, what to do and how to do them. It's all been given to us. What to avoid, what not to do. But to have a heart that knows God. And that's pretty much the theme of this passage here. And it's, it's something that Solomon gives really to young people. And as I said a couple, a couple of weeks ago or last week, I said, you know, I look around, I, all I see is young people. Because when you come to Christ, you're a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And we have to approach life with that new perspective every day because God has given it to us. And so his encouragement to young people, primarily his own children, as we look at uh, the book of Proverbs, which he also pretty much wrote and edited, he, he spoke to young people, young hearts, physically young, because they would be growing up into a world full of sin, full of challenges, full of temptations, full of treachery and troubles. So last week we had seen a few things that he had said to young people, in particular as he writes in verse 9 of, of chapter 11, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. 
And let thy heart cheer thee in the day of thy youth and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. And with that, he closes this letter now with these words in verse 1 of chapter 12. He said, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. And I want to emphasize one word, the word now. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days not, uh, come not, not, nor the years draw nigh when, they shall say, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look out of the windows be darkened, and the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. And you're thinking, what does all that mean? <laughs> He's actually drawing us a picture, using the things of nature to tell us about the days ahead when we begin to change with time. Verse five, also when they shall be afraid of that which is high and fears shall be in the way and the almond tree shall flourish and the grasshopper shall be a burden and desire shall fail because man goeth to his long home and the mourners go about the streets. Or even the silver cord be loosed or the golden bowl be broken or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And so as we enter into this last chapter of this wonderfully a meaningful and powerful book of Ecclesiastes where we're reminded of Solomon's search for answers to the meaning of life. We've asked this question from the onset of this study, is life really worth living? Through our journey with Solomon the preacher, we, we have seen him discover the depths of life without God under the sun and the heights living with God above the sun. His discovery of life being as a vapor was his reality check. And guess what? It's ours too. Because it didn't matter how much wisdom he had acquired, how much wealth he had amassed, how many wives and concubines he had assembled for his pleasures. Without God, all the benefits of these things would, would eventually come to nothing. Tragedies and troubles, difficulties and death had caused him to search out the answers to his own life of, of meaninglessness. 
That was what he came to see in his own life. That was the sum of all of his search. The man that at one time asked God, actually when God asked him, what is it that you want of me? And Solomon said, I want wisdom. The man who was the wisest man in the world at that time had sought out the whole experience of life, both under the sun and above the sun. Actually, I should have turned it around, both above the sun, which is where he was at first, and then under the sun, where he went out to see the world and discover meaninglessness. Could life ever truly be enjoyed again? Would there ever be value to living? It is my personal belief that this book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon's testament of rebellion. It is Solomon's testament of reversal. It is Solomon's testament of rescue. It is Solomon's testament of rediscovery. It is Solomon's testament of repentance. It is Solomon's testament of renewal. You don't have to raise your hands, but how many of us have gone through that? kind of experience in our own lives. Even after knowing our God who loved us and gave himself for us. So this can become our encouragement that when life's questions and problems and circumstances seem too hard to answer or understand, like the year 2020. Think about that. It's been crazy from the beginning. Just nuts. Insane. Wacky. And it's not getting any better. So when we deal with all of these questions and problems, and think that it's, it's just hard to understand the Lord, folks, the Lord, will wait for us. But let me, let me just interject here. There's not much time left, but he is waiting for us. But don't act as if he's going to wait for us a long time. Because when Jesus comes, Jesus is coming. And when Jesus comes, things are going to start moving toward bringing everything to a close. So the Lord will wait for us to return to his wisdom, to return to his will, and to return to his purposes. That's what we see in the life of Solomon. I think of this one verse, and, and many years ago when I came upon it, and the Lord was really just speaking to me through that one verse, Isaiah 30, verse 18. It was, it was quite a revelation because what it said was, therefore, will the Lord wait? And I thought, 
The Lord will wait for us. Which, which doesn't mean that we can, well, if the Lord's going to wait for us, then I'm going to go and do all of this stuff that I want to do. No. It was more like, what mercy and grace we have. That at, at times when we have fallen into uh, the muck and the mire of this life, or we've fallen flat on our faces because we've turned from God, that those of us who have given our lives to Christ, he's waiting for us. He waits for us to get up. He waits for us to call upon him. He waits for us to realize how much we need him more than we need the air that that we breathe and the water that we drink and the food that we eat. We need him more than all of that. So it says, therefore, will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. He has purpose in waiting for us. There's no other God that has ever been created of any sort by man. Or no other person that ever thinks that they're God that could ever be like a God who will be gracious unto his people. Like our God is to us. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are they, blessed are all they that wait for him. Wait for him. See, you see how he, this is turned around for us. Wait for him. All because he has waited for you. And they that wait upon the Lord that shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But he waited. You know, we didn't love him first. He loved us. We didn't choose him first. He chose us. We didn't wait for him. He's waited for us. Amen. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 14. Though this is a passage that is used specifically for the children of Israel, and particularly the children of Judah, who would be going into 70 years of captivity. That God says to them, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace. And not of evil, to give you an expected end. Some translations say a future and a hope. But to give you an expected end. One that you can expect with a good heart and a right heart. And then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, saith the Lord. Now, I was going to stop there. And I thought, no, we can't stop there. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity. God says to us, I will turn away your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. You know, legalistic preachers nowadays, you know, they put this onus on us. You know, that says, boy, if you do anything wrong, you know, God's going to forsake you and that's it. You're, you're done, man. You're toast. 
your barbecue. Barbacoa. He says, no, if you're mine, I'll restore you. But it has to humble us. It has to humble us. So discovering all of this, Solomon closes this book with an exhortation to young people to think carefully about God. And not just think about Him, but to consider and pay attention to Him with every intention of obeying Him. This exhortation began in the last chapter, as I read earlier, and, and it continues on to the end of the book. Now, David Wilkerson, author of the, the classic book, The Cross and the Switchblade, he preached a, a sermon many, many years ago to a great crowd of young people at a place called the old uh, Syria Mosque in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It wasn't a mosque like we know what a mosque is. It was called a Syria Mosque because it was built by, by the Shriners, you know. And uh, the nobles of the mystic shrine, so they called it, you know, the Syrian mosque. But later on, it, it became a, a, a place of uh, uh, where people could go have venues, you know, big venues and concerts and, and uh, uh, plays and whatnot. It held 3,700 people from, from what I understand. The whole place was packed with young people. And so David Wilkerson had a message for them that evening and he entitled it, The Number One Teenage Sin. The Number One Teenage Sin. Do you know what he said that sin is? It is not stealing or murder of, or dealing in drugs or committing immorality or being disobedient to parents. David Wilkerson said, The Number One Teenage Sin is wasting time. The number one teenage sin is wasting time. Is it any wonder that Solomon would conclude his observations of life and, and death with this admonishment to young people? That happens a lot today. And by the way, you don't have to be young to waste time. A lot of people are wasting time today. I oftentimes think there, there, there would be more accidents on sidewalks because people are just looking at their phones and they're running into poles and each other and falling into fountains. I've seen that on the internet, you know. <sighs> Crazy. But why do I bring this up? Because too often we're wasting time without God, when we say we know God, or when we say that we have fellowship with God, we're wasting time. So there's two things that we're going to look at in our text today in verses 1 through 7, and then we'll close with uh, verse 8. But uh, the first thing is that, we, uh, that, that Solomon wants young people to recall God's presence daily. Recall God's presence every day. Every day when you get up, you need to recall God's presence. Because here's the thing, he's always present. He's omnipresent, the scriptures teach us. Always present. And the second thing is, 
that he wants young people to know is that old age and to have a perspective about old age and the experience of death. That's a hard thing for many people to talk about. They don't want to talk about death. But sadly, it happens every day. And I know that we hear, you know, every day I, I see a, a daily report from, you know, on the El Paso Times of, you know, the COVID deaths and, and all. And it, 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 I mean, it gets, it wears you out. Because they don't give you all the numbers, you know, and it, it's just like they keep emphasizing this. You know, if you just let it go, put it, as, put it away. They're going to be there. You know why? Because people die. And they've died of so many things. And they die of every day. You know, I was talking to my own doctor, a cardiologist, the other day. And we were talking about this issue. And one thing that he sees in the hospitals that he, that he uh, practices in, and he, and he told me, and he knows, who, he knows who I am, what I do. And he said, you know, you, you're not able to go to the hospital, are you? No. He says, he says, I don't see families in there. The people that are sick need people there to be with them. And he was done just talking about COVID. He was talking about everybody. You see how we, we, got, we have this saturation of COVID in our heads? But other people are dying of a lot of other things, too. And sadly, many of them are dying without Christ. So this is, this is imperative for young people to understand this. I say, I, and I mentioned last time, that, you know, that, that there's, there's that, that mindset of young people that says, you know, well, I'm going to live forever. Well, let's deal with these two points here. Recall God's presence daily. Verse 1, remember now, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. I'm going to stop and just kind of very quickly give you a perspective that I want to add to what I'm going to say in just a moment. But I read this and I read this and I looked at the Hebrew, I looked at the words, and, and, and I found this. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, young people and all of us, because I said every one of us is young. Look at what he says. Remember now, thy creator. That's what we need to be doing every day. While the evil days come not. Now, now that little phrase, while the evil days come, come not, means before the evil days come. Now, most people say that, that what the evil days come is, is, is the fact that, you know, because we're in a fallen world, we are also subject to the, 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 the curse of the, of, of, the, of the earth and subject then to death. Because of the, you know, the evil days come and we're not getting any younger, we're getting older. And that's why he says, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And that, you know, the perspective we're gonna see in just a moment is kind of the general view of this statement. The general view is, of course, we're going to get old and then we're not going to have any pleasure in all the things that, that, we can, that we used to do because we're getting old and we can't function. But I saw that last phrase, I have no pleasure in them. And I thought about the first phrase, remember now thy creator. The focus was on the creator. The focus is on God. Remember God every day. Why? 
Because you don't ever want to get to a point where you say, I have no pleasure in them. We have one God in three persons. And I thought, you know, sometimes we need to look at it from that very narrow view. It may not be completely, you know, uh, the way people have seen it, but it just hit me. If we look at that context, yes, we're going to grow old. But how many people have grown old having known God at one time in their life and then later on they went off to do their own thing and they had no pleasure in God? So I just want to add that little perspective before I go on so that we can get to what is mostly the, the general perspective here. So as I said earlier, the operative word in this verse is the word now. Now. And I've noticed that in some translations that word is left out, but it is, it is very much the key to Solomon's admi- admonition. Don't wait until later to consider and pay attention to God. Now is the time. Now is the time to pay attention to God. It has become easy to neglect the Lord when caught up with youthful opportunities, to be caught up with pleasures in this life, even planning for future careers. But to everyone of every age, the Word of God is speaking a clear message and exhortation, especially to the youth of today. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, and this was another case of one of those things where I started with one verse and I kept reading and I said, wait a minute, I got to read more of this. And the more I read, the more I said, I got to read this with, you know, to all of you. So I, I, I'll tell you which verse I started with. And where, but I went all the way back to verse 25 where Jesus said, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. That little phrase, take no thought, I think in some of your translations it says, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't worry for your life. Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air. Look at nature for a moment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not. In other words, they don't cast out seed there for themselves. Neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought, in other words worrying, can add one cubit unto his stature? How many of us by worrying are going to be able to grow another 18 inches up? And why take ye thought? Why do you worry for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. There Jesus mentions Solomon. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which, is, which today is and to, tomorrow is cast in, into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? If God has clothed the, 
the field with grass, which is going to be gone soon. Shall he not much more clothe you? Therefore, take no thought. Don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Well, Gentiles worry about these things. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first. And this is the verse I started with. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. If you are going to seek the, the, the kingdom of God, this is what you're seeking. You are seeking the reign of God. That's what the kingdom of God is. It is the reign of God. It is the rule of God in our lives. We say kingdom and what do we think of? Disneyland. The magic kingdom. We think of a place. But we have to understand the word that Jesus used. It is the word that means the reign of God. The one who reigns. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Tomorrow's got its, its own things to worry about. So don't even worry about tomorrow. Besides, who's the God of tomorrow? The God of today. Because with God, it's every day. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. I want to start with verse 18. But I thought, we need to look at this passage before. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Come now. Now, today, now, not tomorrow. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the lamb. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with a sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. That can happen in later life as well as early on in your life. And one thing that we need to remember about the now experience is found in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2. We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted and in the day of salvation have I succored thee, which means I have helped thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And I don't have this one in our notes, but if you read Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, I know that the usage of the word now there is to say, Now faith is the substance. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, now faith is important too. 
Going back to Solomon in that same verse, verse one, he says, while the evil days come not, and I mentioned earlier that that means before those days come, these would be the dark and evil days of old age without God. Old age without God can only be evil. Any day without God is gonna be evil eventually. Solomon is encouraging, in effect, that the young are to discover the greatness and the glory uh, and the glorious grace of God while they're still young, before it's too late, before the aging process sets in. And by the way, I, I came upon some humorous statements on growing old. I gotta, I gotta say this, just make sure you guys are still awake. You know you're getting old. When you finally reach the top of the ladder and find it leaning against the wrong wall. You know you're getting old when you turn out the lights for economic rather than romantic reasons. Half of you are awake anyway. You know you're getting old when your knees buckle and your belt won't. You know you're getting, uh, yeah, that was mine. If, uh, you know you're getting old when you have too much room in the house and not enough room in the medicine cabinet. Okay, one more. You know you're getting old when you sit on a rocking chair but can't get it going. Okay. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in for a little bit of, okay, well, all right. Seriously, make the most of the gifts that the Lord has given you in this life. Make the most of the gifts that the Lord has given you in this life. They've been given for your pleasure. That's something that Solomon has taught us. God has given us gifts for our pleasure. To enjoy not only the gift, to enjoy him. Because he'll always give us good gifts. Good gifts. Good gifts come from above from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. If God is not remembered in our youth, then our later years will only be filled with regrets. And I've talked about regrets before. I want you to consider the words of the Psalmist David, and Sol uh, who is Solomon's father, by the way, uh, if you didn't know that already. But consider the words of David when he says in Psalm 37, verses 23 through 25, he said, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now I'm old. Now I read that when I was young. I came, first came to, I came to know the Lord around, I was about 18 years old. And I began to read the Psalms and I, and I read that and I said, wow, I don't think I have to worry about that for any amount of time. <laughs> the Lord has a sense of humor. We do get old. Now I can say with David, I've been young, and now I'm old. Yet, have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread? Any of his people, I've never seen them forsaken, and I've never seen them beg for bread. Wow. Psalm 71, verses 17 through 19. Oh God, thou hast taught me from my youth. And hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. 
Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. Thy righteousness also, O God, is very high, who has done great things. O God, who is like unto thee? Who is like unto thee? I learned that when I was young, David says. And now that I am old, I want to continue to serve the Lord, to know him better than I ever have before. Which brings us now to old age and the experience of death. So he says, while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease because they are few. And those that look out the windows be darkened, look out of the windows be darkened, and the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. Also when they shall be afraid of that which is high, which means they, they're afraid of the unexpected, things they cannot see. And fears shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail. Because man goeth to his long home, which is, you know, when you go to in death, I mean, you're, you're dead for a long time. <laughs> Your long home. And the mourners go about the streets. Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. <clears throat> what Solomon is saying here, and he's using all of these little expressions uh, as, 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 as a, a picture. He's drawing a picture, again, using nature and the things that we can see. But what he's saying is, is that, old, and that old age and death is like the coming of winter. Old age and death is like the coming of winter. Verse 3 in the day when the, or I should say verse 2, while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened or nor the clouds return after the rain. I mean, the passage may be referring to the, the fading of, of mental powers as when nature lies dormant from autumn through, through winter. As youth, it never seems that we'll ever grow old. And all of life is ahead of us. And yet a, a time comes when we begin to notice the experiences of age. As someone has said about the time when our faith, or I should say our face, about the time when our face begins to clear up, our mind begins to go. So we all get old. And then he says, in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. An interesting picture because it be, it, it, the, the picture being portrayed here is, that, is of the members of our bodies, our servants. Those are our hands and our arms. Those are the keepers of the house. They shall tremble. They get weak. 
They can't do what they used to do. You know, we, we, we've had to learn how to use those little rubber things. That, you know, you want to undo a, you know, a top of a pickle jar, you know. And keep slipping. Finally, you got, you know, you got to go space age rubber thing, you know, to do it. Or else if you think you're really good at it, you know, you do this and then all that juice gets all, all over you. You smell like a pickle for a month. But our, our hands, our arms, get, they get weak. The strong man that is mentioned there, the strong men shall bow themselves. The strong men, the strong part of the body, the strongest parts of our bodies weaken like legs and shoulders and, and knees, they get weak. Then he talks about the grinders ceasing and the grinders cease because they're few. <laughs> hey folks, refers to your losing your teeth. Those are your grinders. The windows, those that look out of the windows be darkened. The windows, our eyesight, it's going. The doors that are mentioned in verse 4, the hearing, we'll see, open door, unclosed door. Yeah. Hearing or could also mean the mouth being closed due to missing teeth. Why? Because it says grinding is low. The grinding that is low in, the, in, in verse 4 suggests the digestive system, that it's not functioning well because of the difficulty in chewing. Those things happen. Going back to verse 4 once, once again, there's a description of a funeral procession there. When it says... And he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. Life goes on while the dead pass. God's creation, the birds sing while the people mourn. Then there is the unknown or the unseen, like we see the height and the depth of the unexpected in verse 5, also when they shall be afraid of that which is high and fears shall be in the way, high and low. The almond trees flourish or blossom, that is, when an almond tree flourishes or blossoms, it turns white, white like the hair of the aged. The grasshopper is mentioned. It says the grasshopper shall be a burden and desire shall fail. The grasshopper is mentioned for at the end of the summer season, it can only drag itself along. Then he speaks of the silver cord in verse 6. Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Every one of those pictures, those four things, is suggesting that the light of life goes out. Whether it be the spine, or the skull, or the heart, or the circulatory system, all of those things will at one time fail, eventually, completely. 
And then it says in verse 7, shall the dust return to the earth as it was. And the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. What happens when death strikes, whether suddenly without warning or after a painful and lingering illness, what happens? The outcome is the same, regardless. Whether the body is placed in the ground, in a mausoleum, cremated or disposed of in some other manner, it decomposes and turns back into the earthy elements of which it is made. But at the moment of death, the spirit leaves the body and returns to God, the creator. So compare Solomon's words here in Ecclesiastes to the biblical record of God's creation of the first man. In verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground <clears throat> and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So notice the steps of the process. God formed the body of man from the dust of the ground and man became a living being when God who is spirit, the Ruach, the Spirit breathed the breath of life, the Spirit, into man. Now notice our text in verse 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. God takes the breath or the spirit back from man. And man's body returns to dust, exactly what it was before God took it and fashioned it into the most amazing and most complicated structure on earth. Death is the precise undoing of what God did when he made man. It is the same process in reverse. Knowing this, we who believe and accept the truth of God's word from Genesis to Revelation are to hold the very perspective given to us by the God of creation. I find that perspective in Psalm 100. Psalm 100, it's five verses, so we'll just read the whole song. It begins with this command. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. But notice verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Know ye. Remember, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
And then he goes on and says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. This is what we do daily. This is our daily thing, if you will. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. That is the perspective that we are to hold. We praise him. We thank him. We make a joyful noise. We serve him. Why? Because we know who he is. We know who he is. He made us. We don't make God. God made us. We're his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. The sheep out in the, you know, out in the fields, wherever they may be. Following a shepherd that has a rod and a staff. The sheep don't all of a sudden at night, you know, when the shepherd is kind of sitting there away from them, but keeping a watch on them, they don't all get together and they say, hey, listen, you know, I didn't like the way the shepherd was leading us earlier. Well, it's a little strange. Why don't we vote? Let's take a vote. We're a, dem we're a democracy here. <laughs> Some other sheep says, no, no, we're a republic. <laughs> That's from our discussion the other night. <laughs> no. We're his sheep. Sheep follow the shepherd. And the shepherd knows them by name. And the sheep know his voice. That's the perspective we need to have here. And it brings us to verse 8 of our text. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Death, like everything else Solomon had described in life, death is empty and meaningless apart from God. Death is empty and meaningless apart from God. Solomon has now traveled full circle. He has covered the circuit of life and is ending up where he began. How did he begin? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Everything, all of man's efforts and activities is pointless and vain. Everything is empty and unsatisfying apart from God. The Lord gives meaning to life. The Lord gives meaning to all of its activities, all of its achievements. God even gives meaning to death. This is the great hard-learned message of the world's wisest man. The most powerful esteemed king. The wealthiest citizen. The preacher whose name is Solomon. Death will come. We will one day leave our houses of clay and dust and we, our spirits, will return to the only living and true God who gave us life. We will spend eternity either with him or apart from him, in heaven or in hell. Those who live apart from God die apart from God. And they continue to exist eternally apart from God. Those who live with God die with God. And they continue to exist eternally 
with God in his home above the sun. So how will we return and where? To eternal life with Jesus or to await the judgment? So we come back to the most important word given to us, the word now. Now is the time to remember the one who created us. Let me close with Psalm 39, verses 4 through 7. David says, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth. Mine age is as nothing before thee. In other words, every one of our lives is measured. Every one of our lives measured. In this world, we've all known people that have died young and died old. Some have died in infancy. Others have died before they were even born. Some have died at the oldest of ages. And others have died when most of the time we say they were too young to die. And yet death is a part of life. Thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. The word selah follows that to say, think about that for a good while. Meditate on that for just a good moment. That mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. If it is without God. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. In other words, you know, we're going to write a will. We're going to say, well, so-and-so is going to get this much and so-and-so is going to get that much. And at the end, when you die, guess what they do? They go before a, an attorney and everybody's fighting and screaming. They say, oh, that's mine. And I'm going to bring my own attorney and I'm going to take what belongs to me and blah, blah, blah. And God is saying, oh, you know what you're missing? You're missing the treasure that is in heaven. A treasure where neither wrath, where neither moth or rust destroy. Moth or rust destroy. Where neither thieves break in to steal. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse 7 says, And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. What do I have to, what, what do I have to wait for on this earth? The lottery. I'm going to win it. What do you have to wait for? David says, 
My hope is in thee. That's a sure thing. Amen? For every believer in Jesus Christ. So whether by death or rapture, we will be with the Lord. However he wants to take us, we can be ready. Because we know the God that created us.